The art of good dialogue is all to do with listening. Tanika Gupta. I do listen. I do get in cabs and talk to taxi drivers, and I think it's that whole thing of the love of stories and listening to people telling their stories. People only tell you their stories if you talk to them and if you tell them a story. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of. I think it works both ways. I think you can't just go into a cab and just keep very quiet and then hope somebody will tell you something. And you get words all the time, little phrases. Like I remember going in a cab and it was an Afghani chap, and he said to me, "You know what they call our taxi firm? They call us Taliban taxis because there are so many Afghani's working there." And he said this as a joke, and of course I put it in the play. <laughs> I put it in fragile that. <laughs> Alan Aikborn. If you put a tape recorder on a party, for instance, a group of people all together, what is amazing, if you play it back later, is, is how very few people manage to finish a sentence, partly because other people cut in on them to finish it for them or because they've guessed the end and therefore want to move it forward. Good dialogue is also about variety. Sometimes, and this is some technique that, of course, goes right back to Shakespeare and probably beyond that, the short, sharp, sudden exchange of a few words between people can suddenly accelerate a scene forward, whereas a long slightly more carefully thought out soliloquy can have the effect of slowing quite often. All these things are a part of dialogue writing and can also gently indicate the pace of a scene if it's written right. Bryony Lavery. You can hear the way I talk is that I have pauses and things. Um, and things like um in the middle. Mm. If I leave those spaces on the page and do different feelings on different lines it indicates to anybody reading it directing it or acting it how long it's taking a character can get from that thought to that thought so again if you look in in my work that you can see when something's a very very hard thing for somebody to think or to say Tanika Gupta again I think the thing about characters is that's the most enjoyable part of writing, I feel, is actually just inventing characters. I mean, you just need to look around at your friends and you immediately see that everyone has their own way of speaking. I think, again, in the early days, I used to write a lot of characters with stammers. <laughs> and a lot of characters who, who like, spoke in a certain Cockney rhyming slang kind of way. But as I've got more experienced, I've realised, actually, you just need to sit down and listen to the way people speak. Even if it's, you know, the person in the corner shop or the guy that served you cigarettes over the counter or the school teachers or whatever, you find yourself doing this sort of listening in quite a lot. And certainly when I was writing Fragile Land... I did a lot of hanging around bus stops listening to teenagers and being absolutely shocked at how much they swore. But hearing words that I'd never heard before, like buff and <laughs> stuff like that, which uh, I immediately went home and scribbled on a piece of paper and thought, I must, must use that. And then I thought, but I don't know what it means. <laughs> so I'd have to, to go out and ask people, what does that word mean? So that's, that's great fun. Here's Helen Blakeman talking about writing a Liverpool accent. The initial stage was trying to figure out how it sounds in your head. And the second stage was then to work out the best possible way to translate that sound to a written word and then for that written word to be easily translatable back to a spoken word. I didn't write it phonetically. It's not like the opening scene of Shaw's Pygmalion. But I suggested a dialect by dropping consonants at the ends of words, using colloquialisms to suggest 
the dialect more than anything and to suggest the rhythm of speech because quite often it's the rhythm of speech which will give the hint of the dialect rather than the way the words are written themselves. Tanika Gupta again. My father died and there was a whole load of people that came to the house. People were weeping and wailing and it was a terrible, terrible time. And as people were leaving, one of my uncles said to me and my brother, we were standing by the door, completely, you know, devastated. And he said to us, make sure your mother is well seduced tonight. And we went, I beg your pardon. And he went, no, no, I mean very well seduced. And what he meant was sedated. Make sure your mother is well sedated tonight. But, I mean, can you imagine a time like that? I mean, it's just... And, of course, I put it into my play. I put it into my play, The Waiting Room. Isn't written dialogue quite different from the way people talk? How do you write good dialogue? Alan Aikborn. Dialogue, for me, is the fun bit. It's the bit when the characters find their voices. I know what they're going to say, roughly. And I know their attitudes, and they're like their, their, their internal thinking. But it's when their voices start to come out. And often those voices are bland to start with. They're quite anodyne, you know. Jack speaks very much like Jill. But as I go on with the play, I will begin to clearly hear voices coming out. And, and Jack develops a, a slight stammer or... or, or talks in more staccato sentences. But this happens, and it, it brings, as it were, once you give him his voice. David Edgar. One of the, I think, the most difficult things is to teach dialogue because it's something that people don't realise is something. I mean, what people think dialogue is, is normal speech, and it isn't. And if you actually ever take normal speech, you'll realise that. And bad dialogue is, again, like the proverbial elephant that you, you can't necessarily describe it, but, but you know what it is when you see it, is dialogue that is not invested with dramatic energy, which is one of those irritating phrases, what does that mean? I think what it means is that there is something in the dialogue which is slightly heightened and slightly draws attention to itself. And one of, in a way, a trick you can do is to slightly over-repeat. And I give a number of examples when I'm teaching of pieces of dialogue which use the same word or the same sets of words just slightly more, not very much, slightly more than you would in real life to make a point. Bryony Lavery. Because I'm the first worker on the scene, I'm trying to get the rhythm right for the actors to then discover it. So... That is why I, in my text, have to put the spaces, the pauses, the stage directions, because I think, I know it should be silent here, but something physically should be happening. I'm trying to indicate where I can see movement and stillness, so I'm head of rhythm, clearly. Alan Aitborn. A good dialogue for me is, of course, primarily the purveyor of character and of attitudes, often attitudes which the speaker might be unaware of, betraying a prejudice in the, the use and choice of words. It's the choice of words is very important. One of the things I say about good dialogue is once you know the play, you should be able to put your hand along the left-hand column, if you write, providing you put the characters' names down that side, and you should be able to identify the characters from the way in which they speak, the shape of how they speak, with sentences over three words, obviously. For any substantial speech, you should be able to say, ah, 
that is so-and-so. I know that because that's the rhythm of their speech. So it's the window to the soul, if you like. And, of course, it is also the primary key for the actor to unlock the character for themselves when they come to interpret it. And it should be speakable. I mean, that sounds obvious, but some dialogue is literally quite unspeakable. You know, you can see actors, their tongues glued to the roof of their mouth trying to get all the words out. And um, it, it has nothing much to do with all the things you were taught at school. I mean, I once said rather rudely, I think, that an actor wouldn't know a semicolon if he met one. You know, it doesn't mean anything. It just seems to be an obstruction between two words. Um, most of my sentences are, are full stops, really. I full stop, think full stop occasionally, just, just because that's the way you musically want the speech written. Commas are useful. Dashes mm. and dots are lovely. It's dialogue that's speakable. It, it's never really meant to be read. It's always meant to be heard. Mm. So you're looking at, if you like, musical notation. People who say, well, beautiful dialogue, beautiful writing of Bernard Shaw in places. And, but but some of Shaw is very hard to say. It has to be said. Mm. Some of the best dialogue is, is quite terse and unbeautiful. And Alan Aitborn again, talking about stage directions and that extra little instruction you might be tempted to give the actor. I try and suggest economy only when there's something that absolutely needs to be clarified uh, softly when an actor might otherwise choose to shout a line which one instinctively feels shouldn't be shouted. I hate capital letters and I hate underlining because it pre-stresses the line for the actor and italics are even worse than that so one tries to suggest it through the way it's spoken and the situation around it from the open university for more information go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use